This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, two years after the death of Hugo Chavez, we examine his legacy in Venezuela and track how the crackdown on opposition voices is intensifying. But first, Gabriela Conchola is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. A big week across Latin America when it comes to arresting drug lords and their allies. Perhaps the biggest catch. Omar Trevino Morales, the leader of Mexico's notorious Zetas cartel, the drug lord, was known by his code name Zeta 42. Mexico's interior minister, Eduardo Sanchez, says he was one of the most dangerous people in Mexico. He's accused of running an organized crime organization, murder, torture, money laundering, arms smuggling, and attacking members of the armed forces. Mexican authorities also captured Servando Latuta Gomez, the head of the Knights Templar Cartel. The Knights Templar primarily operate in the state of Michoacán, while the Zetas organization usually operates along Mexico's Gulf Coast and into Central America. Also this week, Bolivian authorities arrested General Oscar Nina. Nina ran Bolivia's national police until he was fired in 2011. When he was fired, Bolivia's president said he suspected Nina of corruption. Now Bolivian authorities say they have proof Nina used his position heading Bolivia's anti-narcotics units to squeeze drug traffickers for bribes. Bolivia is the world's third largest producer of cocaine. If you thought the mysterious case of the death of Alberto Nisman in Argentina was over, think again. This week, the special prosecutor's family held a press conference and announced their independent forensic investigation reveals Nisman was murdered. They say they have proof Nisman was shot in the back of the head in a place that he could not reach, and that his body was moved in stage to look like a suicide. Also this week, a prosecutor asked an appeals court to review Nisman's allegations that Argentina's president and members of her government had covered up Iran's involvement in a terrorist bombing. A judge dismissed that indictment against the president last week. Nisman was set to report his findings before Argentina's Congress of the president's alleged collusion with Iran, but he died before he could deliver that report. Archaeologists working with National Geographic say they have discovered a lost civilization, a city of undisturbed stone sculptures, a pyramid, and ancient treasures deep inside a rainforest in Honduras. Even though the Mayan civilization existed in Honduras, the scientists say this discovery is a newly found civilization and unrelated to the Maya. The ancient city is located in the Mosquitia region of Honduras and researchers have been actively searching for the site, called the City of the Monkey God, for more than a hundred years. Researchers believe no one had visited the location for 600 years before their team arrived. For Latin Pulse, this is Gabriela Canchola. Thanks, Gabriela. And now we turn our attention to Venezuela. Two years ago this week, the country was in mourning over the death of President Hugo Chavez. Some might say the country has yet to recover. Current President Nicolás Maduro won a close election that the opposition and some international observers have called tainted. Since that time, 
Opposition groups took to the streets in an extended protest campaign last year, and this year, the government has used increasingly aggressive tactics, including jailing and intimidating its critics. We asked Hugo Perez Arnaiz for his analysis. He's a professor at the Universidad Central de Venezuela. He's also the author of a blog tracking the use of conspiracy theories in Venezuela and a contributor to the Venezuela Politics and Human Rights blog of the Washington Office on Latin America. He joined us via Skype from Bilbao, Spain. Sometimes I do feel that there's a very cynical use of these type of conspiracy theories and of the whole anti-imperialist um, rhetoric. I mean, if I look at the, at, the, at the history of the Chavista movement, you have to recognize that they have always been, I mean, anti-imperialism has been a very important part of the rhetoric. And not only of, it's been an important part of the rhetoric of the whole Latin American left, and for good reasons, as we know. But, um, but, but for Chavismo, it, it was just almost, I would say, it was central to their political discourse. At least in my blog, I found that Maduro, for example, actually believes in this rhetoric is a better predictor than, than, than considering him a stenic. You know, uh, 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 I think there's a case to be made that maybe this guy actually does believe a lot of this stuff. I mean, it is, it is very, um, he, 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 particularly him, uh, Maduro, he comes from a very uh, uh, anti-imperialistic uh, political training career. <laughs> He's, he, 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 he practically grew up uh, uh, surrounded by a strong, uh, anti-imperialist uh, discourse. So it, it, it wouldn't surprise me that that of course I don't I can't put myself in his mind, but but it wouldn't surprise me that he actually believes in this in this um, in this theory. In any case, for me, the interesting thing is are the political consequences you know, of this and how how they are used. Uh, on one hand, it, it's a uh, it, sometimes it feels that they're using this in a very cynical way to uh, you know uh, um, hide other problems like the econ- the economy, the economic crisis, and, and so forth. And and there is a case to be made about that because you know everyone's talking now about a coup or or the possibility of a coup, or is it true that that there was a coup attempt attempt or not? And, you know, when people should probably be talking, we should probably be talking about the economy, right? <laughs> We're going to talk about conspiracy theories. So it, you got to give that. <laughs> it always seems to come down to the pocketbook issues. But but yeah. I do wonder, given both the relative abandonment of Latin America by the United States and yeah. then these recent policy changes just within the past six months of the Obama mm-hmm. administration, whether it really isn't cynical to continue to beat this imperialist line because it's obvious that the U.S. has abandoned that line and has abandoned that line for a while. It does, uh, and it does seem so. But then when you look at the recent sanction uh, that that the U.S. imposed on, on government officials, it just plays very much into their hands in terms of this uh, this type of rhetoric, you know. Um, um, to to uh, they they can they can point to these sanctions as evidence. Of course, they're not evidence, but but they can point to them as proof that 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 the United States still meddling in the affairs of Latin America, uh, and and it you know it works. It, for who it works, that's another question. Because I also have my own theory about that, and I think that they basically cater, they pamper the the 
the hardcore basis of, of Chavismo, which is now, according to most polls, down to 20%. And I think that's 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 the main target, of uh, at least internally, of these type of rhetoric. I, I'm sure that 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 they realize that they're not they're not going to convince the opposition, and they're not going you know the voters. I mean, and and most of the undecided voters with uh, these type of, of claims, of coup allegations, and economic war, and so forth. But the uh, hardcore chavista basis, uh, I think they they, they will they, they do go along with this. They they and I I was beginning to notice about two weeks ago, that, for example, Naporrea, the, the, the most popular uh, pro-Chavez, uh, pro-government page, although very critical as well, there were a number of articles criticizing the government along these lines. You know, uh, well, you're claiming there's a huge conspiracy. You're claiming that, 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 you know, planes were going to bomb Caracas. You're claiming that they were going to try to kill you. You're, you're claiming they're, they're waging an economic war, a psychological war, a mass media war, and, you know, what is happening? You're not doing anything? I mean, if you're claiming this huge conspiracy against you, the, the least you could do is, is, is um, you know, call for a state of emergency, um, uh, arrest a bunch of people, uh, uh, because these are serious crimes and these are serious uh, issues, and well, you're not doing seen, anything. We have seen the arrest of Antonio Ledesma. Right, right. That was that was before the 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 the, Lope, the, the Ledesma arrest, right? When I began to see this this reaction on the part of some of the Chavista, uh, you know, opinion makers, if you want, in Aporrea and so forth, and and they were they they seem to be criticizing the government on on that on that trend of, of you know why aren't you acting upon your claims. Why aren't you acting upon your your uh, allegations? You're 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 claiming that that some people are ready to commit very serious crimes, and yet we don't see much action. And then then came the Ledesma uh, arrest and, and 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 what looks like a crackdown on some opposition leaders. Now they're criticizing. They're they're trying to uh, you know drag uh, Cope, the uh, Social Christian Party, into into this business. So. I'm 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 starting to wonder if 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 Maduro didn't at some point feel compelled to act upon his claims precisely because uh, that hardcore Chavista basis was getting impatient. We're about two years out from the death of Hugo Chavez. I'm mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you now see the Chavez period and whether there is uh, some refocusing on what he's left the current government to deal with. Yeah, I think the, the important issue there is um, the interpretation of the legacy of Chavez and, 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 and the discussion on who is the right interpreter of Chavismo. Maduro has, has uh, so far uh, you know, uh, made a, a strong case for his claim to be the real uh, successor, inheritor of Chavez. He, he has asked he has to struggle uh, uh, to reach this point. And, and uh, you know, there have been uh, a lot of uh, divergent views within Chavismo about what the legacy of Chavez means and who gets to, to interpret the legacy of Chavez, which would come down to defining who are the real Chavistas and, and, and who are the real successors of, of, of Chavez. You can see this in most, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, Chavista pro pro government forums. 
and, and some of them have been very critical of Maduro, of the PSUV. There's the, the, the case of, of new groups such as Maria Socialista that claim to be the real in, interpreters of the Chavista legacy and, and criticize Maduro and the PSUV for what they consider, I don't know how to put this, deviations from from that legacy. So I think that's it, that's the most interesting thing to look at. If, yeah. if I could, let, let's, let me dial this back to the more fundamental parts. What uh-huh. are the most positive parts of the Chavez legacy? What what can we credit him with that, that is seen as positive today? I would think most definitely giving a voice to a sector of the population that felt excluded during the last years of the uh, of the bipartisan democratic period. Or, well, you know, at the end it wasn't bipartisan because of... What's uh, called the Puerto Fijo period. Yeah, yeah. I think it's... Un- you, you can't doubt that there was a sector of the population that felt excluded from what had been a very successful uh, democracy and that had uh, a very important and substantial uh, social and economic gains, at least until the early 80s. But, you know, after the 1983 crisis, uh, a lot of those gains were reversed, especially on the social front. And a lot of the population felt excluded from, 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 uh, from the economy and from politics. And Chavez, you know, I don't know if he actually gave a voice to that, those people, but the important thing is that mm, many people felt that they had a voice with Chavez that had been silenced before. And I think that, that, that's one of the most positive aspects of, of, the, of the Chavista legacy. So that brings us to the flip side. What, what's the worst part of the legacy? Is it that the breakdown of democratic institutions was yeah. sped along by Chavez, or is that something that I, we blame on Maduro? No, I, th- I think there's, there's a double, a, a double um, negative legacy. One, of course, the economy. Um, it, 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 it was very obvious very early on, I think from 2007 or 2008, that, that, um, that, that what Chavez was doing was not sustainable and that, um, that, that at some point or other it, it was going to blow up as it did about two years ago. Um, that on the economic front. And, and, of course, with the economic front down, a lot of the social gains also start to crumble and the other issue is the uh, you know the the, the 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 political sphere and yes I think I think uh, uh, Chavez wasn't responsible in a big part for 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 uh, uh, I don't know how to call it autocratic I think it's the right word authoritarian I think is much better authoritarian trend in Venezuelan politics that is uh, it, it, centralizing of most decisions on the executive, a rhetoric that, that claimed to be uh, a, a participatory and protagonic demo- democracy, but at the same time was really centralizing all decisions on the presidency because he was the voice of the people. So, uh, so I think, I think this was, that's part of the very negative legacy. And Maduro, you, it's not Maduro's fault that the economy crumbled so fast because the, the, the legacy was there. Chavez was really the one who put the whole show in place. Yeah, Maduro is, is responsible for not having taken the measures that he needed to take on time 
to stop the downward spiral. So yeah, that that I think would be the negative side of, or the negative legacy of Chavez that Maduro has had to face now, I guess. Thank you so much. Hugo Perez Arnaiz, a professor at Universidad Central de Venezuela, one of the co-writers of the Venezuelan Politics and Human Rights blog of the Washington Office on Latin America, joining us via Skype from Bilbao, Spain, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. We'll be hearing more excerpts from that interview with Hugo Perez Arnaiz later this spring. Coming up, more discussion on the legacy of Hugo Chavez and current conditions in Venezuela. Please stay with us. This is Tom Scared for the Borgen Project. Each year, nearly two million children die from preventable diseases. Each day, 30,000 people die from hunger. 500 each hour are children. The Borgen Project is turning this around. We need your help. To learn more, go to borgenproject.org. That's B-O-R-G-E-N project.org. And now we resume our discussion on Venezuela and the legacy of Hugo Chavez. As we discussed earlier, the jailing of the mayor of Caracas, Mayor Antonio Ledesma, some feel that jailing last month meant the government of Nicolas Maduro was not only intensifying its crackdown on the opposition, but moving toward authoritarianism. With a contrary view, we turn to Dan Hellinger here at Webster University. Hellinger is the co-editor of the book, Bolivarian Democracy in Venezuela. We interviewed him remotely on the university's campus. Well, uh, it's hard to generalize what he meant either to Venezuela or to Latin America as a whole because he was a highly polarizing figure in a number of ways. Um, Ironically, inside of Venezuela, at least some of the opposition, now that he's safely in the grave, um, is sort of uh, talking about his successor, Nicolas Maduro, as someone who doesn't measure up to Chavez. This is ironic because when Chavez was alive and was the president, um, he was the subject or object of a lot of vilification. So basically you have a highly polarized uh, population in Venezuela, half of which, um, probably a little more than half of which, believes that he was a kind of a savior who uh, brought the country back from the brink of destruction in the 90s, rescued it from neoliberalism, and ultimately I think though the other, besides his policies, what appeals to them uh, is the personality that Hugo Chavez, uh, was Hugo Chavez's personality, his ability to simply project himself to walk around Caracas or other parts of the country and people would feel like he was just one of them. And I think that really touched deeply, probably 60-65% at least of, of the population. Let me just add one more thing since your question also went to views of Hugo Chavez throughout the rest of Latin America. I mean, he became highly polarizing there too um, in election campaigns in countries diverse as Argentina, Mexico, uh, El Salvador. Um, Repeatedly the same line was used, that probably wasn't by accident since now they use American political consultants, that whoever the leftist candidate was, that essentially he was going to bring Chavismo and then usually that included in the narration uh, where the narration would be over images of Venezuela in uh, around the years 2002 to 2004 when violence and polarization were at their highest. Um, and of course they wouldn't distinguish uh, violence carried out by the opposition from violence that might have been associated by the government. So in other words, Hugo Chavez came to be associated with elect, elect of, uh, a leftist like Hugo Chavez and you're going to have chaos. We certainly saw that particular electoral strategy at play in the last two 
Honduran elections, for right. instance. Oh, ab absolutely. Um, and uh, of course, in Honduras, however, you've got a situation where um, there is a, a, a right-wing government that came to power through a coup and has tried to legitimate itself through elections. And um, their biggest card is, once again, to kind of scare the population. On the domestic front, inside Venezuela, isn't he one of the first presidents to really reach out and make a difference on the social front, uh, to fight poverty, to change equality in Venezuela in that particular system? I think that's a fair evaluation. Two things. One was oil prices rose after 2001. That certainly helped. Um, but they didn't rise just because there are other forces in the world that made that happen. Hugo Chavez helped make that happen. He took the leadership in reinvigorating the, the organization of petroleum exporting countries, for example. And he changed the tax and royalty laws to make sure that whether oil prices were high or oil prices are low, as they are as we're speaking, that Venezuela would get a larger share. Now that money became available in order to, for redistribution projects. And for, for Chavez, I think he was more successful in redistribution than he was in setting up a new model. He had hoped not only to redistrib redistribu redistribute the wealth, but he had hoped to set up a kind of what he called endogenous development project based upon cooperatives, micro-enterprises, worker self-management, a whole series of things that most of us, I include myself on the left, admire and would like to see work, but for a lot of reasons uh, I don't think have yet produced in Venezuela the kind of economy that, uh, that really can sustain the, the type of social spending that Chavez was able to carry out. Um, and again, to his credit, you know, a lot of times in the past, Latin America's extractive economies have produced a lot of wealth and has stayed in the hands of the elites. Hugo Chavez, on the other hand, made sure that a lot of that wealth went into the hands of the poorest sectors of the society. And that's one of the reasons why he's fondly remembered today by a lot of the poor in Venezuela. When we talk about the Bolivarian Revolution, beyond the geopolitical import of that term, isn't that what we're really talking about as far as the revolution, the change, and how those resources are distributed? Well, I think it's a little deeper than that because um, Chavez, drawing upon uh, the heritage of Bolivar, um, saw Venezuela as a country in need not just of redemocratization. I mean, he, part of his project was to create a new participatory style of democracy. Um, to, to make Venezuela into a real democracy, uh, it would be necessary to have deep social and economic change. That's pretty hard to engineer. And in a lot of ways, Chavez tried to engineer that through a top-down process, even though a lot of things were happening at the base of Venezuelan society as well. Um, and it's becoming clearer and clearer in the post-Chavez era that a lot of the kinds of reforms and changes he wanted to make have not been institutionalized. And by that I mean that it's not so clear that they are so deeply embedded, even in the Bolivarian Constitution, that they couldn't be subject to reversal. And while his successor, Nicolas Maduro, is kind of hanging on the power, his approval rating is very low. Um, and the opposition is kind of licking its chops. Um, hoping that they're going to be able to get in. And if the opposition gets in, there are certain things in the Chavez legacy that will endure. I don't think that the, the opposition is going to be able to undo everything that Chavez did because a lot of the people who benefited from it will be out in the streets defending it. But on the other hand, it can, it, it, I think it, it, it's pretty safe to say that a lot of the changes, including 
maybe some of the reforms that he made, in, very important reforms he made in oil prices, uh, excuse me, in the oil policy, would not necessarily survive an opposition victory. How do you see the current situation? Um, is it deteriorating? It has deteriorated. Um, the police and the security forces are under attack by mobs in many cases that are organized by the opposition. Now, the opposition itself is somewhat divided. When I say the opposition, I don't want to tar all of the opposition with the same brush in saying that they're fomenting this violence. There are clearly some significant distinctions. Um, second of all, I don't mean to say that the security forces don't exercise abuses. Um, third, I don't mean to say that all of the arrests of opposition uh, politicians in Venezuela are justified. Um, there has to be concrete evidence presented in open court for us to be able to see the, whether or not there's real transparency in the judicial process. So I want to, at least I want to make those, those disclaimers. But at the same time, I think that what we're seeing in the United States in our own media and a lot of the international media is a kind of condemnation of Venezuela as some kind of new authoritarian state that's, uh, that could be compared to Syria and the rule of, uh, of President Hussein in, uh, in Syria. And, and, Venice, and that is not Nicolas Maduro and it is not Venezuela. So you don't think that the recent arrest of Mayor Ledesma of Caracas uh, applies to that in that particular critique? Is, is he who you're thinking about as far as the charges, as far as someone in the opposition arrested recently? Well, there have been, uh, you know, the, the, there are 37 mayors, uh, opposition, uh, I should say opposition politicians, but I believe actually maybe even all of them are mayors with the, and um, plus, and, and, and what, there are also some other detentions. And of course, the most prominent is Leopoldo Lopez, the former mayor. Now, a lot of these people, including Ledesma, were deeply implicated in the coup that attempted to overthrow Hugo Chavez in 2002. They are coup makers. Second, the charge against them of collaborating with the United States in an effort to overthrow uh, the, the government of Venezuela, you know, it, it should not be lightly dismissed because Washington has a very long record, including in 2002, of complicity in these kinds of overthrows. On the other hand, you know, we got to be, first of all, we've got to be very careful not simply to take the government's word for it either. And it is very fair to ask that those arrested receive a trial. And in fact, you're even beginning to see some people within the Chavista left become worried about what's be called uh, the criminalization of dissent. So as you can see, it's a very complicated situation because on the one hand, there are reasons to be concerned that the government is using news and calls uh, and claims of plots against it to drum up support to repress criticism, that can spread beyond the right opposition to other sectors of the population, and so legitimate, it's legitimate to raise questions about that and demand transparency and fair trials for those arrested. On the other hand, it's also, uh, we shouldn't simply dismiss these claims. And uh, just to add one more thing about it, I mean, if you look at the history of Latin America, particularly of coup making, um, in a lot of ways, if the government is playing this card, if the government is trying in a sense to rally support for itself by making claims, not well supported claims about coup making, if that is what hap ha is happening, that's a dangerous game itself because then the government begins to make plausible the idea of coup making. The, it gives, sends a message to people in the ranks that there's divisions within the military 
for example. And that means that soldiers, ordinary soldiers as well as officers, begin to think what's going on within the military and maybe even begin to think that, well, if there's my, my comrades are actually plotting coups, something must be going on here. And maybe I should, you know, that people begin to have doubts about the stability of the government. So um, it's very important, I think, that um, that the government act with a lot of transparency and probity when it comes to either repressing, uh, you know, the, well, they should never repress dissent. I mean, when they come to charging people and trying them on, on these kinds of serious charges, even if they are people who kind of have a history of having tried this sort of thing in the past. Thanks so much, Dan Hellinger of Webster University, the co-editor of Bolivarian Democracy in Venezuela, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thank you, Rick. Enjoyed being here. And now a programming note. We'll be taking our traditional spring break next week, but we'll be back online Friday, March the 20th. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Latin Pulse. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimonos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, production assistant Gabriela Canchola and producer Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>